in the simplest explanation, it's a play on words. So it's renting and investing. So because there is such uh, pressure from an affordability perspective, people don't want to live 50 kilometers out of the, the central business district um, in order to afford to buy a property. So why don't you just live where you would like to live, be it for lifestyle reasons or, or for working reasons or, or whatever that may be, and invest where you can actually afford. But it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive to, to property um, because it is renting and investing. So you could be renting and investing in a share portfolio or you could be renting and investing in yourself and pursue your own entrepreneurial ambitions. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, the number one podcast geared towards educating investors and entrepreneurs who want to break into the U.S. market and start buying cash-flowing deals. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it is my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate investing here in the United States. And the reason that I do that is so I can educate you guys, so you guys can go out and make the right decisions when it comes to investing for cash flow to create long-term wealth and financial freedom. If you are new to this show, then welcome. I welcome you to this show and I encourage you to go back and start from the beginning and work your way through each and every episode and listen to the incredible content that my guests have given to this show. You can find this show on all the platforms, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you podcast, I will be. Remember to hit subscribe and each and every week you'll be notified when the latest cracking episode is launched. Before we dive into today's show and I introduce you to the cracking entrepreneur, remember that I do have a free ebook. And if you want to get your hands on this free ebook, it is pretty simple. Firstly, all you need to do is jump on iTunes and leave the show a review. It helps to show iTunes that we're creating an awesome community of entrepreneurs who want to learn more about investing here in the United States. Once you've left that comment, on iTunes, shoot me a screenshot of that comment to info, that's I-N-F-O, at rsnpropertygroup.com. And in return, I will send you my brand spanking new ebook called The Art and Science of Raising Capital Like a Pro, The 4P Rule. And it is the book, a very simple ebook, which is set up to change your mindset about the benefits of raising capital to start going out and getting more deals done. And the 4Ps are pretty simple. It is professionalism. It is pitch practice and patience. Those four Ps are the things that I've seen in myself and in other successful syndicators who go out and raise capital successfully. Remember, if you want to get your hands on this free ebook, jump on iTunes, leave the show a five-star review, then shoot me the screenshot at info at rsnpropertygroup.com. Also, remember, spots are filling up really quickly in my mentorship program here in 2017. And if you want to start learning about how to successfully close on your first multifamily deal, then this mentorship program is for 
you. I walk you through the A to Z of multifamily investing, from analyzing and choosing the right markets, to building your right team, to how to close on a deal and obtain the best financing. And to top it all off, I give you the tools to start raising capital successfully as a newbie so you can get more deals done and you can grow your net worth. I help you establish your inner key person of influence and help you create a cracking personal brand. If you are interested in taking that next step and you want to get involved in my mentorship program, it's pretty easy. Again, shoot me an email at info, the I-N-F-O at rsnpropertygroup.com and put in the subject line, mentorship program. Okay, lastly, if you do have any comments or feedback for this show, I love hearing from my loyal listeners. And the easiest way you can do that is jump on my website at rsnpropertygroup.com forward slash podcast. And remember to leave some comments in the show section of any of the shows that you do like. I love hearing from you guys. It helps me create an even better show and it helps me motivate to you know create, giving you the best content that I possibly can. So you guys can go out there and start successfully investing here in the United States. All right, guys, let's get cracking and into today's show. Today in the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with a fellow Aussie real estate entrepreneur, Peter Mastriani. Peter has been involved in the property industry for more than 13 years. He is the founder of the Buyer's Guide and champions rent vesting cause through his website, www.rentvesting.com.au. Peter is also an accredited finance broker and an active member and participant of the Property Investment Professionals of Australia, PIPA, a non-profit organization focused on helping and protecting consumers' interests in the real estate investing sphere. So Without further ado, let's get him out here. G'day, Peter. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Reid, and thank you for uh, such a complimentary introduction. Oh, my pleasure, mate. It's uh, <laughs> it's always good to talk to fellow Aussie entrepreneurs. Now, I know that you are calling in from Australia today, but um, you know the whole idea of getting you on the show today was talk about the rent vesting. But before we do get into rent vesting and what that means, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on your background and you know how you got involved in real estate investing and and, and what was that sort of the the, the the mental shift change to get out of the rat race and start um, you know putting your money to work in uh, in, in real estate? I was uh, very fortunate to um, get into the property game at, at a very early age. I was actually twenty at the time, and um, uh, it was probably more so being pushed from my parents, indicating that uh, you know I should um, make the leap and and get in and do it while you're young and and all the rest of it. Um, uh, and at the time, whilst I was pushed into it, um, I have to admit I, I didn't quite enjoy the early experience of it because probably from a maturity perspective, I wasn't quite ready. I was going to university, I was working full-time, and I was working full-time and studying full-time in order to support the actual mortgage repayments of of that property. Um, but, you know, it, it was a blessing in, in disguise for me because, um, you know, property prices uh, have risen significantly since that period of time. So I think I have to contribute my initial success uh, in property due to being, you know, put in a position uh, at that time to, to leverage from and, and probably time in the market as opposed to being opportunistic and and spotting uh, good property investments at that point in time. Um, but look, uh, through that uh, leveraging uh, I was able to acquire additional property assets. Um, 
I, I worked within finance. I originally studied banking and finance uh, at university. And uh, from there, I, I worked within the industry. I worked in different sales and, and marketing type roles. And I was always fortunate that uh, I, I was able to uh, generate a good income um, through the the work that I was doing for employers at the time, and uh, and that money I I did use to actually reinvest in, into property as well to uh, you know acquire a, a nice portfolio of assets that um, uh, I I was able to um, you know use to to fund to start up my own business and uh, and pursue this as as a full time career. Nice man. Well, congratulations first and foremost. Thank um, you for getting involved. It's such a young age, and I guess thanks to your mum and dad, right? <laughs> thanks, mum. Thanks, yeah. dad. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Um, so at the time, my my mum's grandmother, so my great-grandmother, uh, had actually passed away, and uh, she left my sister and I an inheritance of $10,000. Nice. So $10,000 isn't a huge sum of money, um, but that $10,000 plus my measly savings from working in a part-time job through school and, and through my early university days there was enough for a deposit on the house. The Australian government had also introduced the, the goods and services tax as well, and, and to counteract that, they also introduced um, what's known as the, the first home buyer's grant. So the government um, also made a, a contribution at the time of $10,000. So that was my funding to, to actually get a deposit um, into the, the Brisbane marketplace where, where I was living at, at the time there. So house prices at um, that point in time, um, like to give you some perspective, uh, that house that I bought was for $143,500 for a four-bedroom, one-bathroom house on a 700-square-metre-odd block. Uh, and to buy something similar these days, you'd be looking at at least six hundred to 650000 within that same suburb. So um, prices have, have certainly increased, which goes back to the earlier comment, Reid, in terms of you know that early experience had nothing to do with um, – uh, knowledge or capabilities or expertise. It was just uh, fortunate to to have the time in the market to, to leverage off that capital growth. Well, that's that's so incredible because a lot of people who listen to the show obviously you want to get involved in the, the the U.S. market and and constantly people asking me all the time, you know, what what's it like investing in Australia? And I haven't invested in Australia ever because I've lived in the United States for the better part of seven years. But talk to me about that 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 change over time. The one hundred and forty three to six hundred odd thousand dollars. How long did that take to get to that period of time? Just to put into perspective for everyone uh, who's listening. So that was over a period of uh, thirteen years, um, and Brisbane, um, which is the the third largest city in Australia. Um, is probably the the slower of the the major capital cities in terms of actual capital growth. So to put things into perspective, that same style of property or or size of property in a a Sydney market would be probably selling between 1.2 to 1.5 million. Uh, Down in Melbourne, it would probably be a a million odd dollar price as as well. So, you know, Sydney and Melbourne house prices have have boomed significantly. Um, Within the last five years, Sydney house prices have increased close to 75%. So, uh, the situation is within the, the domestic market is that 
property is becoming unaffordable and it's becoming unaffordable for younger Australians to, you know, realise that that home ownership dream that we're all brought up and, and aspire to on the basis that, you know, you should save hard and and um, and with that savings, you know, that you accumulate, you should use it to, to buy a deposit and or to for a deposit to eventually buy a home to create security and, and comfort within your life. But if you're living in Sydney um, and you're earning a, an average income, which would be about $80,000 after tax, that's about $61,000 that you would receive in the hand or or about $1,200 a week that you would actually receive in the hand. You know, if you're saving every single cent that you earn, it would take you close to three and a half years to actually accumulate a, a, a deposit for an average price property within Sydney. And, you know, it's impossible to save every single dollar that you earn. So realistically, local Sydney siders could be taking seven to, to eight years just to save for a house deposit. And that's not taking into consideration further capital growth that might eventuate in that time period. So people locally are are starting to, I guess, rethink what the traditional home ownership model actually is, which is why rent vesting is becoming uh, such an appealing proposition for, for many Australians to, to actually undertake. Yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting that you've just broken that down there because I've always explained to people who ask me about the Australian market, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I live in Los Angeles, uh, very similar sort of house prices to, to Sydney, you know, maybe not in the order of, you know, definitely in the order of 1.2, you know, millions and millions of dollars, but for an average, you know, a neighborhood, for an average, you know, house, you're probably looking at around six to $700,000 to get, in, to get, mm -hmm. into, to get into a, a safe neighborhood. Uh, if you want mm -hmm. to go to a more of a sketchier neighborhood, uh, which is definitely what you, you could probably get into something for around 250, but you'd be driving a yeah. long distance to get there. Um, sure. So I sort of say to everyone, well, think of the hot Aussie, think of the hot LA market where in, in nice neighborhoods and apply that to the entire country or the, the major cities and coupled to the fact that Australia is kind of landlocked a little bit because we can't inhabit the middle of our country. And I think there's some statistic out there that, you know, Australians only inhabit like 20% of the, the land mass compared to America where, you know, they inhabit the whole thing. And the fact that you've got such a higher population, you have the sort of the pockets where you can get more affordable housing um, to, to, to either invest in or to live in. Uh, unlike Australia, you, you only have like 25 million people. So it's a little bit, and, and you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but they're, they're the sort of metrics that are going on in the Australian market to, to drive up prices. People want to live around the major cities, landlocked Yeah, that's right. Population. So um, the, the, the main concentration of the population is centred across the, the east coast of, of Australia through the, the main capital cities of, of Brisbane, Sydney, and, and also Melbourne. And... Um, there's a great big nothing in, in the middle and, and then there's another city about the same size as Brisbane called Perth over on, on the west coast um, and satellite cities in between. Uh, but there's a, a few things that are actually taking place. There's been a, a lot of foreign investment activity uh, that's taken place more recently within the residential property market. Um, we've had low interest rates as well. Um, not as low as, as what the the states have been more recently, but, um, you know, owner-occupiers are getting a, a, a rate of around about 35 to 4% or, or low fours. There's been some recent movements upwards, but uh, the rate 
assets have, have been particularly cheap uh, and investors have seen that um, as value for, for money in terms of actually getting into property, albeit that the actual rental yields or the income that they're receiving from these properties are, are probably quite low. It's the growth uh, from a, a capital growth perspective that's happened more recently that's what investors have been chasing. And the Australian stock market has been pretty lacklustre over the last three or, or more years. So people are, are looking for somewhere to park their money. Right, interesting. Um, and talk, talk to me a little bit about how, you know, back in 2008, um, you know, I was living in Australia and, and since living in the United States, obviously a lot of people got absolutely, you know, bulldozed with, with, the, with the, the property crash here in the United States. How is it that Australians, you know, got the very similar metric with that Americans have got, which is, you know, high uh, unaffordability of pricing, that the wage gap between, you know, wages and property prices are continuing to grow. Interest rates are, are, are on the rise. How is there not more of a foreclosure market in Australia where people get underwater and they just can't, you know, get, you know, they've, they've got into a house and they can't afford to make the payments um, or the property price doesn't actually go up like they, 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 they say it is? And, or is it a fact that it's always going up so you're always positive and you're always above water and there's no issues? Uh, it would be great if it, if it always went up. Um, right. But uh, uh, different markets operate in, in different capacities. So whilst Sydney might be booming, that there are pockets within Sydney that uh, probably have underperformed, but it might be underperforming in comparison to the others that uh, have overstretched the, the mark there. Uh, but I think it's probably down to, to the banking system that, that's actually implemented. Um, and I know bankruptcy rules are, are quite different in, in the domestic market um, com compared to the, the US from a, a lending perspective. Um, banks, what they will do from uh, an industry lingo perspective is is sensitize the rate. So whilst the, the interest rate might be at, say, three and a half or four percent, the bank will actually work out your capacity to repay that home loan at a rate of seven to, to seven and a half percent. So they're factoring in some fat into the equation to, to de-risk that scenario for them. Another aspect is that um, banks require a, a certain deposit to be brought to, to the table to actually acquire the the, the property or, or the asset to begin with. As a rule of thumb, that, that deposit is 20% of the actual value of, of that property. If 20% isn't actually brought to the table, what the bank does is they um, make their customers pay an, for an insurance policy, which is called lender's mortgage insurance. And what that policy actually does is it protects the bank on um, – uh, on a on a component if you were to default on your mortgage so if the if I bought uh, a property and you lended me some money read um, and I had only 90% what the bank would do is take an insurance policy for that 10% difference which I would have to pay for and uh, if I did default on on my loan they would sell the property recoup their losses and the insurance would would make up the, the remainder so it could be a, a, an aspect of of why we haven't uh, had that foreclosure uh, 
aspect within the marketplace, but um, you know the market hasn't bottomed out uh, either. So you know if if there is a a crash, like some people are speculating that you know Australian property market is in a bit of a bubble territory, which could be the case. Um, you know maybe we'll see more of that activity taking place, but that's um, that's a bit crystal ball, I guess. <laughs> it is. No, I think you've you've covered some great po- uh, topics there. Um, very similar to to the American market, they do the same thing here uh, with first home owners. They will, you know, blend the rate a little bit more, so you know, sort of hedge their risk. But there, there is obviously different bankruptcy laws, and I think that's probably the biggest the biggest one. Um, but mate, let's dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show because I could talk to you for the for the next forty five minutes on the difference between Australia and US markets. But the real reason you came on the show was to talk about rent vesting. So with that, could you want to explain to the listeners out there what rent vesting is if they're not familiar with that term? In the simplest explanation, it's a play on words. So it's renting and investing. So uh, because there is such uh, pressure from an affordability perspective, people don't want to live 50 kilometers out of the the central business district um, in order to afford to buy a property. So why don't um, you just live where you would like to live, be it for lifestyle reasons or, or for working reasons or, or whatever that may be, and invest where you can actually afford. But it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive to, to property um, because it is renting and investing. So you could be renting and investing in a share portfolio or you could be renting and investing in yourself and pursue your own entrepreneurial ambitions. Um, I think the important thing is is that, um, like all individuals, we want to have comfort and, and security within our lives. So go about creating a, uh, the largest asset base that you, you can with, with money that you can actually afford. So if that's $1,000 and you can contribute a $1,000 to kick off a, a small share fund and, and make a regular contribution to a, on a month-to-month basis, it's a start. You're, you're growing an asset. and and you can use that to, to acquire future assets along the way. I think the, the component that people don't understand is that living in your owner-occupied residence or, or your principal place of residence, your, your home, is actually really expensive because no one factors in the amount of money that you're actually spending on interest repayments on that loan. No one remembers how much money they spent at the local hardware shop trying to do DIY projects on the weekend or for you know, renovation, major renovation projects that don't necessarily add any real capital value to, to the house or, or the dwelling itself. No one remembers... Uh, you know, the labor actually involved in having to mow the grass every weekend. So um, those aspects make living in the home that you own qu- quite expensive because it just it doesn't generate income. So for the Australian market where property prices are, are so expensive, you need to be, you know, you need to have other revenue streams um, in order to maintain that comfort and, and security in your life, which is why rent vesting is is really gaining in, in popularity because you can't live in a suburb that you would like to live in and you can invest in a different state or you can invest in that property 50 kilometers away where it's generating an income and there's certain tax deductions that uh, are available for, for that investment property, which essentially means that it's a very cost-effective way of, of getting into the property market within the Australian marketplace. 
Interesting. Well, talk to me a little bit about that because I think that is uh, a great you know segue. A lot of people here in America they they, they live where they want to they rent where they want to live and they buy where it makes sense to cash flow. So it sounds like a very similar thing in Australia. So you're, talk, you're talking about the, the, the you know, I'm going to go out and buy... Australians just have a catchy term for it now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But talk to me a little bit about how the, the, the numbers behind it. Like I'm living in Sydney. Uh, I have, you know, a $2,000 a month rent. What could I buy out, you know, 50, 100 kilometers out of town that would make sense for rent vesting? So if you were paying um, a couple of thousand dollars a, a month in, in rent, you would probably be in a, in a pretty nice to, to, to moderate um, home within Sydney at a fairly commutable distance to, to um, the main entertainment districts or, or, or suburbs. Um, uh, and let's say, again, you were earning an average income of, of that $80,000 realistically you could be investing in brisbane where where i actually live and you could probably acquire an asset for between 500 to, to 600,000 which would generate a, a rent of between 450 to to 500 plus dollars a, a week depending on the style of the property and, and the location of of that property um uh, so, so the money that you would actually acquire over over a weekly basis would generally be enough depending on what interest rate that you applied would be enough to to cover the the majority of the interest expense that would be associated with with the loan of that property one of the the big um, aspects that that does help within this situation is uh, a tax advantage or a tax break that um, is applied by the Australian federal government called negative gearing so the, uh, the Australian government basically views um, individuals owning an investment property as if you were running a business. So any of the expenses that are associated with running the business of this little investment property can be tax deductible. So the interest expense that uh, you're paying on, on that loan would become tax deductible, any repairs or maintenance or land taxes or or paying for the gardening fees or, or anything like that would be um, tax deductible. So if you're earning $80,000 and the rental income for the year is 20000 just for nights, easy maths at mm -hmm. my ends, <laughs> that uh, would bring you into a $100,000 annual income. But you've also paid $18,000 worth of interest. You've paid a couple of thousand dollars in repairs and maintenance. You've paid a few thousand dollars in land taxes and rates and, and water. So just say your, your, your total outlay for that property is $25,000 for the year. That $25,000 would essentially be deductions which would be taken off your, your total income of $100,000. So instead of being taxed at $100,000, you're now taxed at $75,000. So individuals would, would normally be receiving a, a tax return at, at the end of each year. So that tax return, they could use it to put it into an offset account for, for their mortgage, um, uh, they could use it to, to go on a holiday. They can use it to, to subsidize their, their own rent that they're paying to, to continue living where, where they want to live. Interesting. That's very, very interesting. And, and the fact is that uh, they still would have to pay the, the rent where they're living, right? Because the, the, rent, the, the rental income from the property that they own would just be paying off the mortgage that they that's, own. That's right. Yep. That's yep. right. So, so you're, you're living where you want to live and you're acquiring an asset which really um, – 
is extremely cost effective because there's not a lot of out-of-pocket expenses actually associated with it over the year. Right, right. That's that's it's crazy. It's just so crazy to compare that to the American market, and I guess that's why um, the, 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 some Australians do come over and invest over here because it's just to to, to do that it would you have a bit you, you'd want to see a little bit more of, of positive you know cash flow coming out of a property like that, otherwise. You know, you can't ever break out of the rat race. It's it's very very yeah. So uh, I I think that's the whole interesting co- component of it because you know I was always brought up to believe that um, uh, you had to generate a, a profit in in order to to make income. But people are deliberately lowering their their incomes on the basis of of attaining a, a tax return. It sounds counterintuitive, and and it technically is, but. It's been so successful because of the capital growth that's associated with with property or residential property. So whilst rental yields in Sydney might be at two or three percent, and in Brisbane, you know, they're, they're probably at around about four and a half to to five percent. You know, capital growth has been at seven, ten, twelve, fifteen percent. So um, that's where the the real money is, and that's where people are, are, are building or how people are, are building their wealth. There is certainly cash flow positive properties. However, it requires due diligence and, and research to, to actually find those investment opportunities that are available in the marketplace. They're very, very, that's very, very interesting. And the whole idea of rent vesting is just changing your mindset about you know making sure that you are building up that nest egg, whether it be in cash flow or whether it be a combination of cash flow or sorry, negative gearing and appreciation over time. My, my question to you is, as a as a, a financial advisor, not not having a crystal ball, is there risk in in losing in property prices not going up? And I know we've already sort of really talked about that, but then you wouldn't get that nest egg growing over a period of time if there was a correction in the market. Um, look, as everyone knows, in all investments carry risk. Um, uh, and, you know, Putting out a disclaimer there, Reid, you know, I'd highly encourage everyone to to do your own due diligence and, and also seek professional advice from um, accountants, solicitors or or the powers that be to, to make an informed decision. Um, to speak from a, a, a local perspective, um, uh, there is talk that prices are, are moving towards a, a bubble territory perhaps, but um, the fundamentals – tell a completely different story. Um, if you break it down to a basic economic 101 perspective, um, demand is is outstripping supply. Um, and whilst that continues to take place, be that from different tweaks and, and twerks that, um, uh, that governments are, are, are trying to, to implement to actually slow, slow the housing um, uh, slow housing down is probably um, having the, the opposite effect as it's allowing more individuals to actually get into the marketplace and, and that demands puts further pressure on, on property prices. So I don't foresee there being a, a significant crash where prices are, are going to uh, bottom out, but I certainly feel that it will slow down. There will be a, a pause. Everyone will, will take a, a breath and, and – um, and the market will probably return to, you know, more normal operating levels. 
Yep, interesting. Um, talk to me a little bit about your philosophy with you know rent vesting, reinvesting your life, reinvesting in the assets. And I know we briefly touched on that just a little bit, um, but it's also a, a good philosophy for young people out there who who are maybe struggling with that you know the the dilemma that they may never own a house in their entire life because you know. As I said before, wages are remaining stagnant. They're remaining stagnant here in the United States, and they're remaining sounds like they're remaining stagnant in Australia. But property prices are continuing to grow. So, talk to yeah. me a little bit about that. So, I don't, I don't see it as an affordability problem. I, I see it as an income problem because, like you said, wage growth is is stagnant. Um, so, what do you do? And I think a, a, a legitimate debate needs to take place on. On whether you actually do need to own a house, um, you know, if if you do uh, buy a property at you know 132 Suburban Road, you, you're technically locked into that place uh, for the foreseeable future. And I don't think, um, as someone that's a Generation Y, I personally don't want to have that that kind of attachment um, to that kind of asset um, because I want the flexibility to, to go out and and live my life on on my own terms and and do what I would like to do I think getting back to the 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 aspect of, of income there's more opportunity I think than perhaps there's ever been and that might be debatable I guess but to go out there and, and source, additional streams of, of revenue and there are certainly a, a number of emerging asset classes uh, that, are, that are coming into play that perhaps were previously reserved for wholesale or, or more sophisticated investors and with technology those those sort of asset classes are, are now becoming more readily available to you know average individuals like like myself um, or, or other retail type investors and fin, fintech technology is is certainly disrupting that space um, so uh, within the the local market um, there's been a, a number of crowd or property crowdfunding platforms that uh, have recently sprung up one of which is called Brick Brick X, which will buy a, a physical asset and um, and break the the property up into ten thousand bricks under a, a unit trust arrangement, and investors can actually buy into that property for a hundred dollars per brick. So if you had a thousand dollars, you could go and buy theoretically 10 bricks in, in that property and, and receive a, a return on your investment and people will, will trade the bricks. So it's kind of like uh, trading stocks, but from a, a physical property perspective. So I think we're going to see more of, of those uh, uh, alternative um, investment streams come more readily available along with wholesale trusts uh, to gain exposure into more residential or, or commercial type um, assets. Interesting. Very, very interesting stuff. And I think it goes back to the, the, the mindset of these you know, young generation, my generation, your generation, millennials, to go out and be willing to invest time in themselves to educate themselves on what is out there. You know, you know these these platforms of crowdfunding, um, you know, syndication stuff like that that are, are shaking the fundamentals of how we invest our money these days. Um, people aren't wanting to invest in the stock market anymore, particularly here in America and in Australia. It's it's volatile, and they want to put it into hard assets. And so companies like you're saying CrowdX, uh, there's a lot of crowdfunding sites out here. We have small investment minimums, and you can get into something that's something that you thought you might not have been available to you. 
10, 15 years ago. So, um, but it is about educating yourself and taking the next step and not just sitting back and thinking, I'm going to get a, yeah. a, a, a pay rise. <laughs> yeah, you're completely right. I, I think that the, uh, the key is actually starting. Um, do something. Um, don't, yeah, definitely don't wait for a pay rise because <laughs> you'll, you'll never get a pay rise or, you know, or saying that, um, you know, in your next job, you're going to really turn it on and, and earn an amazing income. I, I think the opportunities are there already in front of you. Um, uh, it's just about actually taking some, some action. And it goes back to the earlier comments in terms of start with what you can afford. Um, but start investing to, you know, build that nest egg over time to, to leverage from. Exactly. And I think it also goes back to the fact that we are in such a different economy this, these days. America's doing the same thing. There's a, there's a big struggle with this whole the American dream, the Australian dream of owning your own house. Affordability is not there. Uh, and things have got to change. You know, the, the, the paradigm shift is changing. Uh, and you as investors listening on to this show, listening to Pete's show, you have to make a change for the better, and that starts with education. Uh, and, that, and you know, I'm a huge fan of it, and that's what you know. I'll always, I'll always go back to. If you're not going, if you're not willing to get off your ass and go and educate yourself about something different, and you're just going to sit there all day trying to think that your day job is going to get you, you know, some sort of financial freedom, then sorry, guys, you're you're, you're wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, mate. Hey, but what's the best piece of advice you can give to someone out there, establish who wants to establish a real estate side hustle or looking to get started in rent vesting? What can they do? right now today uh is there any you know programs you can you know shoot them over to can they can they listen to anything can they read anything what's the what's the best piece of advice um first of all i would probably take stock of uh your your current financial situation um uh like we've discussed it's uh, perhaps an income problem so look at look at your cash flow Look at uh, or analyze where you're, you're spending money. Perhaps be more disciplined in, in that behavior, or, or or become more structured uh, and methodical about how you actually manage your money. So, put some aside for um, your rent and, and and the basics. Put some aside as you're you're walking around money or or your blow money, and put some in another pot for short-term savings, another for medium-term savings, and and for long-term savings, and and try to automate it as as much as possible. Um, I had a, a conversation with an individual um, not too long ago where they were speaking of um, uh, cognitive minimalism, and I've never heard the term before, but. Um, it kind of rung true because it's on the basis that there's so many decisions that we're actually required to make that it just stresses us out. So we don't actually do anything. And one of the the biggest decisions that we have to make on, on a very regular basis actually has to do with money. So if you know what is coming in on a regular basis through your job or, or your main um, source of, of activity where that income comes from and you can automate it to cover the basics, give you some spending money and then have an automated savings process. You don't have to worry about it anymore because you know things are, are getting taken care of. Um, once you can do that, I would um, be trying to speak with a, a finance advisor to, to get an understanding of, of what your borrowing capacity could be and uh, I would just be thirsty to acquire as much knowledge and information from a broad range of property topic related strategies. Um, you know, there's not 
one horse that uh, could potentially win the race. There's lots of options out there, and and everyone's going to have you know an opinion on on what you should perhaps do. So I think it's best to take everyone's opinion and then probably make a, an educated and informed decision on on a strategy that you feel is going to importantly be right for you because um the last thing that you want to do which was i which what i did very early in my uh, investing career was i made decisions that i regretted and the reason i regretted it was largely because the amount of debt that i had against my income was huge so i invested myself into a corner and trapped myself into a job that i didn't really like but i couldn't get out because i, I was in that investment corner so um Start small and and leverage from there would would be my uh, would be my suggestion, Reid. That's that's awesome advice. I think it's so many good takeaway pieces of advice from that little little uh, spiel just there about you know edu- take, starting with education and understanding your financial, you know what are your liabilities and what are your assets currently right now. What is your incomes? What are your outgoings? Uh, and making it more automated because the more automated you are, I think you hit the nail on the head where you said we don't then stress about it. You don't stress that. $500 is coming out of your paycheck and that's going no, towards... No, it's, it's, it's um, taken care of. Exactly. Um, be mindful of, um, from a cash flow perspective, where I see my clients going wrong is around cash flow. They they don't uh, think ahead of, of expenses that will be incurred in, in the future. They don't think about the $1,000 car insurance bill that's coming up in August. Or you know, they don't think of, um, I don't know, this unnecessary super duper bill that I'm going to get in December or or budget for Christmas or, or whatever it may be. So if you can just have a little pot that you're putting money aside for the short term to cover those expenses that, that do creep up and, and then have other pots for the medium term and, and long term, it's a it's a good way to take care of, of your finances. Good stuff, mate. So, Pete, what does the future hold for you and your business right now? What are you looking to be in five years' time or 10 years' time? <laughs> um, so I think within my, my short term, it's um, – uh, it's probably to, to concentrate at at the work at hand and uh, and deliver on some some outcomes that are particularly pressing. But um, the next twelve months should be pretty big for the business with uh, new offices um, opening up within Sydney and and also Melbourne in terms of the expansion of of the finance business and um, and getting more presence uh, around rent vesting. It's certainly a, a buzzword locally. Um, and from the the actual uh, web asset that that I have, it's certainly uh, growing in in popularity. Um, but that in itself brings its its own problems and and requires uh, constant supervision and uh, and its own investments. So I think it'll be uh, fine tuning um, some of those aspects and uh, and launching those those new offices in five years time. Um, God, I'm I'm not sure yet, Reid, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, hopefully I'll, uh, I wouldn't have put on 10 or 15 kilos and lost all my hair, but, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, I'm sipping, sitting on a beach drinking pina coladas instead or something, but, nice. um, no, at the moment, uh, I'm very much focused on, on the next 12 to, to 24 months, which is, uh, what it looks like there. 
I think that's incredible. I, I, I listened to someone recently, I can't remember if it was a TED talk or something, where they said, screw having 10-year plans. It's about having, in, in this economy, it's about having 12 to 24 months plans. Put your mind into that for the next 12 to 24 months and see what doors open up from there and just roll a little bit more with the punches. Um, you know, invest, you know, particularly as entrepreneurs, because you don't know what's coming in this uncertain market. So I think it's a yeah. really, really good thing. Uh, I think it's probably reflective of uh, the lessons that I've learned um, in business uh, because it's just been so unpredictable. You think that uh, you've got a, an awesome plan that you're able to execute on and, and it's going to be a raging success and then you do it and you don't get that pop. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> What am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? And, and, you know, it's that constant learning and evolving that uh, needs to take place. So whilst there's a a plan in place, I know that there's going to be uh, deviations. Um, But look, there's, you know, I've I've got some some longer-term goals that uh, I'll certainly try to work towards. And and like everyone, Reed, it's probably just to centre on uh, becoming healthier, wealthier, and wise. Exactly, exactly. Well, mate, I do want to keep conscious of your time, but before you go, I always end the show with you giving me your top five investing tips. You ready to jump into it? Sure. Mate, what is the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? I I say my choices, Reid. So uh, I have 13 choices, um, which are essentially goals that are, I make to myself on a daily basis. There's five of which are fundamentals, which center around being healthier, wealthier, and wise. And uh, some of the other choices that uh, I make to myself uh, are around family and business goals and uh, things that uh, I want to do for for myself as well. But uh, I do make that a, a daily habit. Are you a big journaler? Do you journal? I do actually. Um, I do, and I meditate, and uh, you know, I try and visualize outcomes. Um, uh, and they're just you know little practices that uh, I've put into place to really probably keep my mind at ease, or or um, probably be more present in the moment rather than wandering off. Awesome stuff, mate. Um, next question is: What? Who? Who is the most influential person in your career to date? Uh, I would say that it would actually be a, a business coach uh, that I was introduced to um, maybe about six years ago now. Um, uh, really interesting guy, um, had experienced life. He, he was an academic. He got a bursary to, to study overseas but actually used the money to become a, a monk in Burma, went on a yoga retreat in India and met a woman and gave up the robes and got married and had kids and became a successful property developer, got divorced, almost went bankrupt, and and now he does coaching. So uh, he was a a wise man that uh, I was very fortunate enough to have met in my life and and give me some of those daily practices that uh, I just mentioned there. So uh, if you can, I guess, uh, be mindful of of what you're focusing your attention on, um, that's what you'll end up creating in in your life. So that was uh, my biggest takeaway from his investment of time that's awesome sounds like he's a really incredible guy (laughs) he went through all the the ups and downs (laughs) 
He did, yeah. Mate, what's the most influential tool in your business? You're obviously building out a financial business. You have your real estate investing. You have probably, I'm sure, some other businesses that we haven't even talked about on the show, but there'd have to be some key tool or key element in that business. What is it? Uh, systems, definitely. Um, Amen. Uh, implement, <laughs> implementing uh, some solid systems has um, is making my life easier and uh I didn't uh, have any appreciation of that in, in my earlier experience. And I was just busy all the time. I was just so busy. Um, and I genuinely was, or at least I felt that at the time. But uh, I was probably also spinning my wheels a lot. Um, but implementing some, some solid systems that uh, I can count upon um, has certainly uh, alleviated a, a lot of that pressure. And I'm loving LinkedIn at the moment as well. Nice. I, um, I see that as a, a really good lead generation tool to tap into. Nice, man. I, uh, I definitely would, will back you up there when it comes to systems. I was never uh, a guy that could, could, could get my head wrapped around it, but until, you know, actually uh, thank my, my fiance um, about it because you're setting them up, they take a bit of hard work at the front end, but once you have them set them up, you know, they just let, let them hum in the background. So, so awesome yeah. stuff. Mate, I typically ask everyone, what's been their biggest failure in their career to date and what have you learned from that failure? Um, what have I learned? Um, I, I think probably not trusting my intuition and it's probably uh, been on decisions that I've made uh, around individuals that I've taken on as employees and, uh, and also with business partners as well, knowing intuitively that or your gut saying, oh, it's probably not right, but you, know, you, you still go with it for whatever reason for convincing yourself. Uh, and I think that's probably um, you know, that some of the biggest learnings that, that I've taken away is to trust your instincts. Interesting. No, that's, that's, that's good stuff. It's always, if there's something not sitting quite right with a deal or a business partner or someone, yeah, just walk away. Life's too short. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and mate, my final question for you is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Um, go to www.rentvesting.com.au. Um, there's plenty of information there. There's uh, more than two dozen people that are contributing their, their own content regarding different investment strategies as well. There's uh, a stack of free resources and webinars and books and ebooks and um, you name it. It, it. It's on there. It's a fairly comprehensive resource at the moment and, and it's always continuing to grow. So, so jump on there and um, find out more about what it's all about. Cool, man. Well, Pete, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I just want uh, it's to... been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Reid. Well, I just want to quickly recap on a few of the some of the things that we have covered today because I think you've, we've dove into a lot. Uh, obviously, first and foremost, rent vesting. Figure out what that is and how that will apply in your life. Um, just changing the, the paradigm shift, your mindset to a, a you know to something that is going to help you set up an asset a portfolio for yourself and and it start, that starts with education uh, and the biggest thing that I think that I took away from 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 talking with you uh, Pete is that your your ability to go out there and and see something understand it and then take it into your own uh, under your own wing and, and make it your own and, and you know then go on and, and create more and more wealth for yourself so um, thank you so much for for jumping on the show and uh, let's we'll catch up soon sounds good thanks Elaine 
Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed full of some awesome investing advice and actionable steps. Uh, There's some great golden takeaway nuggets of advice there that that Pete gave us. If you do have any questions for Pete, please jump on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com. Remember to click on the podcast tab and all the links will be up there from today's show. Thank you so, so much for taking some time out of your day to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge because that's what we're all about here on this show, continuing to grow your financial IQ. We're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Thank you.